0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another fun-filled, action-packed episode of A&B Sports Media, the podcast. My
1: name's AJ. And I am Bill. And let's get right into the news. Yay! Okay, so 1906, this is on February 23rd, 1906. Tommy Burns beats Marvin Hart in 20 rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. No, eight, no uh, organization, no nothing, it's just some random heavyweight boxing title. Um, 1938, more boxing. Joe Lewis retains his uh, heavyweight boxing title by knocking out Nathan Mann in round three at Madison Square Garden. That was the second defense by Joe Lewis. Third and final, in 1958, a lot of old ones, five-time F1 World Drivers champion Juan Manuel Fanigo is kidnapped by Cuban rebels from Fidel Castro's 26th of July movement. It was released soon after the Cuban Grand Prix. Fun fact, we're going right into F1 because guess what? It starts next weekend. Um, F1 will be coming back. So that means I won't start shutting up about F1 again. Um, I believe the first race is, uh, of course, the F1 website's messing me up already. Uh Um, Ah, the Bahrain Grand Prix, which is the actual race is on uh what is it march 2nd at way too late of an evening um which is a saturday thank god um and they always put it in 24 hour time anyway just to give some quick rundown of what's happening this year with the cars um gonna tell you now red bull is still looking dominating mclaren is on the rise we'll say that ferrari this year's going to be interesting because one of the drivers will have to leave for Lewis Hamilton. We'll see how that goes. Um, Mercedes losing Lewis Hamilton. They're gonna need a new driver. Uh, Red Bull, or oh, sorry, when I saw Red Bull, that's uh, Al Sorry. Yuki Sonoda, still racing. Aston Martin, guess what? Still hate Lance Stroll, but still love Fernando Alonso. And then there's the rest. Um, so otherwise though, we'll see what happens next week. Yep. Moving on from there, we're going to go right into the Sixers who are currently 32 and 23. With Embiid's injury, uh they've been playing okay. Not great, they, but okay. It it's extremely
0: telling how just yeah. dramatic of a talent Embiid is because yeah, they've been in close games which they, they're a scrappy team, they'll stay in it, but like Embiid literally is the is the main reason why they're just so dominant.
1: I I agree. Um and just even last night's loss against the Knicks, um 110 to 96. That's the first game since, ooh, geez, since January 20th. So a full month ago since we scored less than 100 points. Mm-hmm. And we won that game too when it was 97 to 89 against the Hornets. But, yeah, so that's not so hot. We're currently on a two-loss-losing skid right now, fifth in the conference. Yeah, um, and the game,
0: the game yesterday, Maxie played really well, actually. He had 35 points, uh, even had some six rebounds, five assists. So he was doing pretty well. He did, unfortunately, have four turnovers, which is a big reason why they couldn't, like, fully commit to that comeback. But, yeah, in reality, Tobias just didn't really do too well. He had a minus 15 on his plus-minus. Um, help, buddy. He he's been our our three point shooter that we've been missing for years. Yeah, but just not enough. He had fourteen points. He was four for nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so honestly, I kind of expect him to get back into the swing of things because he was on fire before the all star break. But
1: yeah, I think he, it gives it, give it a little bit of time. It'll be all right. But it's yeah. not good though that we've we were third for the majority of the year so far and now mm-hmm. dropping down to fifth good news is we still have time. It's only in the middle of, or the end of February. There's still yeah. the entire month of March and April. So we will see how the Sixers go as time moves on.
0: And honestly, the Knicks are just, even though they're a young team, they're more complete and healthier right now than the 76ers. So, I agree. Yeah, it's going to take some time for them to kind of, you know, meld back together. But um, I, I, I expect Maxi to kind of start hitting that next stride. Um, I, start, I expect Buddy to kind of start popping off, too. But it's, it's really going to come down to, is Tobias Harris going to screw us for another year?
1: Yeah, hopefully not, but we shall see. Uh, moving on to the Flyers. Flyers yeah. still not too bad. They are currently 30 wins, 20 losses, 7 over uh, overtime losses. They stand third in the Metropolitan Division with a total of 67 points. Um, which good news, Capitals and Devils, which are fourth and fifth tied basically, are at 60. So we have a pretty comfortable lead for that third place spot for right now.
0: Yeah. Overall, yeah. though, the Flyers
1: are currently on a one-game winning streak, winning um two days ago on Wednesday, uh against three to one against the Blackhawks, breaking a three-game losing streak. They will be playing tomorrow against the Rangers, and hopefully. They could pull out on top on that one, which would be huge because that's the number one team, too, mm-hmm. um, in the Metropolitan Division. But that's still Bruins, I think. Bruins and Canucks right now lead the, the both divisions. Or Bruins leads Eastern. Canucks lead uh, Western Conference in points, both having 80. Uh, but overall, Flyers aren't doing too, too bad. Um, the one goalie, what's his name? Hang on. Harrison has been stepping up, especially the last game. He had a uh, ninety-five uh, and a half percent save rating, so that was pretty good. Um, twenty-two Harrison's saves, if I'm understanding that, twenty-one or twenty-two saves. But Erasin's been
0: honestly, especially with everything going on with Hart, like Erasin's been such a nice little like find for us. So yeah, I agree. He's it's been well.
1: yeah, um, but. So far, so good with the Flyers. Still shocked that this season may be a playoff season. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean, doesn't mean all the way. But I would just be happy with playoffs, but especially during the rebuilding season. Uh, same thing, just like the Sixers. They're going until the uh, what's it called? Until April until playoff starts.
0: I just want an orange spring, dude. It's been so long.
1: It would be nice. It would be very nice to happen. Um. Lastly, we have UFC. Uh, We're going to jump into the previous event, and I'll run through the next bigger event coming up. Just a note, when it comes to UFC events in the future, the next few upcoming, there's not much really going on, except for tomorrow, which I'll watch. But um, the next big event that we'll cover is UFC 299, which is Sean O'Malley versus uh, Marlon Vera or Cheeto Vera 2. That's March 9th in Miami, Florida. Um, but before that, there is UFC Noche, which is in Mexico, which we'll cover. And the previous event, which I'm going over now, UFC 298, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Elliot Taporia. This was held in the Honda Center in Anaheim, California on February 17th at 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Don't know why I went with the time. Just to run through some early prelims, not early prelims, I'm sorry. Um, Some prelims, notes, just real quick. Performance of the night. Zhang Minyang versus Brenton Ribeiro. Beautiful combination for a knockout. Deserves his performance of the night. Good for him. Uh, Props to Junior Tafa for stepping in. So get this. There are two fighters. Yeah. Junior Tafa and Justin Tafa. They are Uh brothers. Justin Tafa was supposed to fight in the heavyweight division against Marcus Marcos Rodrigo de Lima. Ranked 15th for the heavyweight, uh, heavyweight division. Unfortunately, the week of, he got injured. Who did they sub in for? Who? His brother, Junior Tafa. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Sadly, though, Junior Tafa got knocked out, uh, technically by strikes, but he was basically leg kicked into the ground and then lost a the fight. Which honestly kind of made sense because Junior Tafa I think is like five and one, sorry he's now five and two from the loss. So yeah, not much there for
0: him.
1: Yeah. Uh, lastly, on the prelims, fight of a night: Amanda Lemos versus Mackenzie Dern. It was a nice fight to watch. Pre uh, main card, going through it quickly because there is a lot of what ifs now. Um, middleweight bout: Roman Kiplov versus Anthony Hernandez. This was the first fight, middleweight division. Anthony Hernandez was ranked 15th. Roman was trying to get into the division after a three successful and beautiful highlight knockouts. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out for him and for uh, Anthony Hernandez showed why he is top 15 and was able to basically take him to the ground after a few different submission attempts was able to win. I think it was via rear naked choke Um, And he now is defended as gatekeep, the rank 15. He has also received performance in a night there. So good on for Anthony. I don't know who he's going to fight next. He'll probably fight up. Honest to God, have him fight Paul Craig because in the middleweight division, Paul Craig is kind of a weaker one. You might as well go up that way. Roman, probably going to fight under some other stuff right now, some other unranked fighters until he has a chance again. Uh Mirab Devashili versus Henry Cejudo Henry Cejudo, Cejudo was the former Bantamweight champ, retired for three years realized he didn't, couldn't make any money or nobody really I don't know, he he decided to retire for three years for no reason it seemed like kind of ruined his career and pretty much did Um he fought against Aljamain Sterling lost, and now he fought his teammate Mirab Devashili and lost in even more spectacular fashion um, he was out wrestled. He was out, uh, cardioed. It, it just didn't happen. Murab won via decision. Murab will be fighting for the belt after O'Malley and Vera. Um, whoever wins that will face Murab. Murab absolutely deserves the belt, the challenge for the belt. Um, excellent cardio, excellent wrestling, excellent everything. The only thing that is wary is a striking. He does get open sometimes. Moving on welterweight division, Joff Neal versus Ian Gary. Ian Gary won via uh, split decision. It was a closer fight than most people expected. I could have seen it going both ways. Props to Ian, though, for winning. Props to Jeff, though, for giving him a very good fight. Um, overall, Ian now is at least, I think he's top mm, eight or nine now. Sometimes the rankings, even if you do win, you don't get that number right away. So Ian now, weirdly enough, fought the ranked eighth fighter and is now sixth. Don't know how that works with UFC rankings. That's crazy. I don't get it. But good news is, honestly, if he wants to fight somebody, he could fight either Colby, beat the shit out of him for the top five, or if they want to give whoever Leon isn't fighting, he can fight one of the other top five. Uh, Gilbert Burns is fighting somebody else, so that is not an option. So it's either Usman, Bahap, Bilal Muhammad, Shafkot, or Colby. So we'll see which one he gets. Jeff? Jeff can fight, really, anybody lower than him and defend his position where he's at. He'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Moving on to the last... Uh, two more. comain Robert Whitaker versus Paul Acosta. Fan-fucking-tastic fight from beginning to end. Um, Whitaker came out with intensity like he used to and showed that he still has that high-level fighting. He's still ranked three. Um, he was showing that he still can... Keep up. Paul Acosta was off for two years. Now, that does not mean, though, he's slouched because I was genuinely surprised because I've seen ring rust on some people come out. Colby mm-hmm. Covington is an example. Paul Acosta came out like, no time is gone. Still strong, still dangerous, has a hell of a chin. Honestly, the decision was unanimous and it went to Robert Whitaker, rightfully so. If you look at the scorecard or not, scorecards, fight like the stats. But you could, if you were putting in damage during, I think it was the first round, he did a spinning uh, heel kick that stumbled the shit out of Whitaker. Um, Honestly, I think it could have been split. Whitaker, honestly, he should fight Strickland at number one, get the number one spot because Izzy's not fighting right now. I don't assume he'll fight down again against against Katanir. So I'm assuming at this point, if Driscus is not, or sorry, Dreykus is not fighting Izzy for whatever reason, because I know that was a big plot line. Um, Or if they're not rematching Strickland, Whitaker can either fight Jared Cannonier, or if he's not, if the champ isn't fighting Strickland, have Whitaker fight Strickland, and leave it at that. Um, Paul Acosta, honestly, he's seventh. Kamzat Shumayev, who still can't fight anywhere else, um, uh, except in certain countries, have him fight Paul Acosta, and next time that's available. I think that would be good. Last but not... What's that? So that would be a solid one. That would be a great fight. Last but not least, the featherweight title bout, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Ilya Teporia. I was shocked. I was bamboozled. I was mesmerized. This was a great fight for the two rounds that it was. The champ, Alexander Volkanovsky, Alexander the Great, the man that has reigned over the featherweight division for a couple of years, has finally been dethroned. In the second round, at 3 minutes and 32 seconds, he caught a mean, mean right hook into the jaw and went slumped. Ilya Taporia from Spain and Georgia, the country, um, has now taken over the featherweight division as champion. So, God bless Elliot. Uh, well, yeah, God bless Elliot for the win. I don't know who he's defending next because he's kind of just trash talking all the older people in the division, talking about Holloway, Ortega, Ma- Mozart, Evolve. I don't know who he's going to fight. I don't know who he wants to fight. A rematch is also a possibility because Volkanovski has been the reigning champ for so long, but I think he needs a break. He has just been knocked out twice in rapid succession to like four or five months between each other from Islam Machev to a head kick to this, to the head, the head shot. So that's yeah. two big blows to the head. I think he should take a nice little relaxing time and then go back into the Go back in, let his brain literally recover. I agree. Now the only thing that's coming up tomorrow, um, UFC fight night. And the only reason it's a fight night without being a fight night, basically Brandon Moreno versus Brandon Roy Val because they have fought before. Um, this is known as uh, UFC Noche. This is in the CDMX arena in Mexico. Um, usually with these fights too, it is majority of, you know, Mexican fighters fighting against any other dangerous mother, mother effort out there, um, not going through everybody. But I do want to go to the early, early prelims because we have to bring up our guy, even though he's not our guy as much anymore, Muhammad Naimov. I've brought him up multiple times on this uh, podcast because he was on the rise. He is known as Hillman. He is 10-2. He has five wins by knockout, two by sub, four first-round finishes. However um he has two fights so far in the UFC first one was Jamie Mullarky via knockout fantastic knockout then he won via decision against Nathaniel Wood this is where I was very disappointed in him he won but it was dirty he did a couple groin shots by accident or on purpose I don't know and overall really should get his um be a little more clean when he fights otherwise I think he has a good chance of winning. His odds are not up here. He's fighting a guy named Eric Silva, who's nine and two coming off a loss. He is from Venezuela. So of course I get that. Um, that makes more sense now why that's happening on his card, but we're rooting for Naimov. Other fight to look out for in the prelims, Felipe Dos Santos. This guy had his debut against a guy named Manuel Cape. Manel Cape is ranked, I think like five or six, sixth in the flyweight division and put on, a hell of a fight. He did lose, but he looked good the entire time. He should be that top 15 caliber. I think with this fight is kind of like a step, like a step down for him, but he should be fine to win against Victor Altamarino. Moving on out of the prelims now, just jumping right into the top, well, not top three, but three fights on the main card, real quick. Uh, Raul Rosas Jr. versus Ricky Tricos. Raul Rosas Jr. is the youngest UFC fighter in, nope, oh, sorry, said that wrong. He is the youngest fighter in the UFC. He is currently eight and one uh, with a fantastically beautiful knockout of Mitchell. What's his first name? I forget. Um, Terrence Mitchell. He literally punched him so hard, he flew off his feet. Uh there was pure teenage angst in there. I'm telling you that now. Um he's what's called he, odds-wise, he is currently minus two eighty-five versus Ricky Tri- uh turquoise. Yeah, we'll go with that. I would take him in the odds. Uh Raul Rosas Jr. is slowly on the rise. Hopefully he can keep succeeding while he keeps getting older. Featherweight bout. Uh Yair Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega, ranked three and four. Um, this is gonna be. I, I don't know how this is gonna be. Brian Ortega, they're both coming off losses. Yair lost to Alexander Polkanovsky. Ortega, I think his last loss also was um, actually against Yair last year. Jesus Christ, really? <laughs> oh no, that was two years ago. Jesus, he hasn't fought in two years. Jesus Christ, what's wrong with you? Been a while. Okay. Anyway, just running through it quickly. Yair is 16 and 4. Brian is th- 15 and 3. If Brian hasn't fought in a while, there's some potential, some ring rust there. Yair um, also coming off a loss, just losing to Volkanovski. Honestly, not sure who's going to win this one. Um, if I had a bit bet, I would bet on Yair just because he's been more active recently. Last but not least, the main card event, the main event Brandon, the Assassin Baby Moreno versus Brandon Val 2. Funny enough, Brandon Moreno has basically fought everybody in the flyweight division um, at some point in his career, whether he won or lost, because he really just has. Just a note, in the first fight against um, Brandon Roy Val, Brandon Moreno won on November 21st of 2020, four-ish years ago, in the last second of the first round by knockout. So, got to keep that in mind, there's still maybe some fear there. Both have fought for um, – actually, no, Roy Vala has not fought for the belt yet. Um, oh, no, he just fought Pantoja for the belt. My bad, my bad. So both have lost to the champ um, recently and now trying to get themselves back into contender, uh, contending position. Problem with Moreno for that is he's literally been champ three different times, two times holding the belt, one holding the interim belt. Don't know if this will give him the, you know, access to fight him again and then if he is funny enough moreno will actually be the first ever fighter in ufc history to have two um fights or two he's gonna be the first person to fight the same opponent four times because he's fought davison Figueroa four times and eventually will fight pantoja four times how about that um i'm giving it to the assassin baby he's at minus well, or minus two fifty. I think it's either winner submission. I don't think this is going all the way.
0: I mean, his name is Assassin Baby. That's that's clear. Way. Yep.
1: This is the guy. This is the guy I always wanted to see live, which I did went back to him regaining the belt the first time against Davis and Figueroa in January. Not January. June of June of twenty twenty one. Jesus Christ, it was that long ago. I went to Arizona to see that. Huh. But that is all I have on UFC and all other sports. AJ, take.
0: Woo! Um, I am gonna be bouncing around a little bit. I know uh, we already kind of hit basketball, but there's a story that's that's been going on the past week, and it's so funny. As a Phillies, uh, not Phillies, as a, a Philly fan, everyone knows how bad Doc Rivers is. Even if you don't really watch basketball or don't really understand too much about what's going on. Doc Rivers is terrible and synonymous with being a pain in the ass. So, obviously, he got a—he was originally like an an analyst, uh, pretty much like pretty much a a talk, uh, a host on a lot of the TV shows. um, Even sometimes for a few games, Um, and halfway through the season, the Bucks fired the coach and then hired um, Doc Rivers. All of Philly knew exactly where this was going to go. Um, and it's pretty much gone the exact way we thought where they would be leading so many times just because there's no like genuine like drawn play calls, there's like no creativity. They and they consistently lose leads in the fourth. And the Bucks are still good because of talent and talent alone. But Doc Rivers consistently hampers any talent and it, it shows in every single team he's at. But he uh he pretty much was on um Sirius XM NBA radio, uh, and he was talking more about like um how he got into the head coaching job and everything like that. And he was saying how he was skeptical and he even told the the this is an exact quote he says, I told them, the Bucks ownership, I don't understand why you're doing this. <laughs> I,
1: I figured this is what you were gonna bring up. Mm-hmm. I I – I'm just and like, how if he's easily confused, why are you even gonna go with Well,
0: it's he consistently throws everyone under the bus and consistently paints it as it's not him. And there's been so many memes about this now. Like, for instance, <laughs> someone tweeted they're like Doc Rivers uh was quoted today I told Rob Stark don't don't trust the phrase like they're gone they're going to get stabbed in the back I don't know it was just something about that and it was those types of memes where it was like he was consistently like hey like listen uh, Luke Vader's a, a bad guy he might be your dad like that like that kind of stuff and it's it's so funny to watch this man consistently do this shit and um actually one of his previous players he used to be on the, uh, the Sixers was JJ Redick. And he was, uh, he was pissed off. He essentially like went on a tirade on, um, uh, pretty much with Shannon Sharp. And, uh, uh, he, (laughs) he pretty much was his exact, his exact quote was, it's always an excuse. It's always throwing his team under the bus. When are we going to call it out? He was, and he like legit was like extremely pissed off and rightfully so like, He's actually played with Doc Rivers. for, I think three of the four, I might might be four teams. Like he was on a uh, team coached by Doc Rivers, and he, he's consistently seen this. Like he's he's a guy who's 15 seasons as an NBA player. Like he's a, a seasoned vet, and he knows exactly what he's talking about. Honestly, like watching JJ, um, it, it kind of gets me more caught up in like how basketball is like maneuvering, like the strategy behind it. But dude, he is Doc Rivers is. All of Philly, honestly, is um, loving what's happening here in the box. Oh, absolutely, doing it because we we're like all Milwaukee fans are like Philly fans know exactly how we're feeling right now, and we're like, "Yep, <laughs> we do." Um, but that's pretty much it on the NBA side. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a funny story because Doc versus is crazy, but um, uh, just for more Philly pain though, the Water Dogs, they're the the cross team. They actually won the championship series last year and then they came to uh they came to Philly. They got to they got to the championship series again. They had a two series lead, or a two game lead in the series. And then not only that, but they had a two-goal lead and in the final two minutes lost that lead and then lost in OT. So now Philly has not only lost in football in and in baseball and in soccer but adds, adds some lacrosse to it too in in the championship game in less than a year, actually. So I wanted to bring that up because if I'm feeling the pain, everyone gets to feel
1: the pain. <laughs> that's fair. Um, did they? So I didn't even know there was a PLL. I mm-hmm. knew there was the MLL, the Major League Lacrosse.
0: Mm-hmm. The, then... the only reason I know that that's a, a thing is because another Philly team lost in the championship series fair um, enough also before we get into more baseball and football I do want to give a shout out to good uh, Flyers legend Claude Giroux even at 36 years old he's like statistically one of the best players in the NHL he scored 151 points in 152 games since leaving Philadelphia and uh, he by all stats he's still one of the best um, forwards in the game and it's it's absolutely insane
1: there's he's another oh my god what? So, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was doing more research because I couldn't remember that I'm thinking of, which is known as the Philadelphia Wings. Um, so, that's not even a part of the MLL, the Major League Lacrosse. That is a part of the NLL, the National Lacrosse League. So, now we have the PLL, the MLL, and the NLL. That's a lot. Too many L's. I'm not that's, about it.
0: That's. I'm a baseball player. We don't like lacrosse anyway. So, that's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we, but this, um, this
1: was founded 38 years ago, so I'm I'm trusting the law.
0: So, we're starting off baseball with a very funny story, and yeah, if anyone knows who Zach Grinke is, this is going to be a funny story for you. So, Zach Grinke, he's a he's a veteran pitcher. Um, he's on the Dodgers, and he's always known to be like this this quirky, like very thing of Drax, like very like. It's, it's, a, it's a weird personality to describe. Um, but he told Alex Gordon that he wanted to show him something in the video room. Uh, Alex Gordon got all excited. He was like, Cranky's going to like, he's got, he queued up a video for me. Like it might might be me hitting a home run. Like maybe there's something he saw in there. <laughs> so he did show him a video of him hitting a home run. But Cranky <laughs> simply told Gordon, do more of that. <laughs> there there was no, like, hey, maybe this part of your swing, he literally showed him a video of him hitting a home run and say, do more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zach Grinke is a, an interesting fellow. But um, kind of jumping into the Phillies now, like pitchers and catchers have reported. We got some spring training games going on. But with that comes just like a few contracts and like people getting signed and stuff. Uh, one of them is Tim Anderson. Uh, he used to play for the White Sox, who – He was on a trajectory to being one of the best shortstops in the league. Kind of fell off a bit from injuries and stuff like that, but he uh, he did sign a one million um, or a one the one year deal, five million dollars with Miami. Um, And I think that's a really good fit for him. I think he'll thrive there, especially with Jazz Chisholm, um, who's a stud in his own right. So Miami's getting a few good players there, but they still have to to beat the Phillies and. Phillies are looking kind of kind of saucy right now, and I like it. But on the Phillies note, the Yashinobu Yamamoto was one of the the huge names um, for a pitcher. A lot of people wanted him. He was he he pitched with um, Shohei during the uh, International Baseball World Series, um, and they ended up winning. He pretty much showcased. He's a damn good pitcher, like one of the top tiers. Um, and obviously, he went to the Dodgers on a 12-year, 325 mil. Which the the, the deals the Dodgers have been doing, where they've been backloading, even when the, the player is not playing, is is still funny to me. But there was a report that actually the Phillies did offer the most money. Um, pretty much, they all they no numbers come out, but they, they the report says the Phillies offered the most money to Yoshinobu Yamamoto than any team in baseball, including the Dodgers. So. I I kind of knew that once uh, like Shohei signed, that Yamamoto probably was going to go there anyway, um, just because you know going into a whole new um, like country and just having like someone familiar with you is is going to make you lean more towards going to that team. Um, so I thought that was really cool. It's really cool to see that uh, John Middleton, the owner, is he's he is all in. He's one of those owners that no matter what he wants to actually win championships and where most owners want to cut corners and keep money in he's saying no i love this game i love this city i want to bring a championship so and he's one of the owners that will literally sit like in the nosebleeds with the the fans and just like give them free shit and do whatever so he's he's i'm very happy he's our owner like he's one of the best owners i've seen in in any sport in any like executive world um Alec Baum did actually uh, win arbitration case, so he's, he's uh, earning $4 million. Um I don't think they... So this is more... The, so arbitration, what it is, is necessarily if both sides aren't... They're at like a standstill. Because um, I think they were only off a little bit, but they were both like holding holding firm. You go to arbitration, either one side wins, one side loses. Uh, Alec Baum won, and now they can kind of move on to more... Um, extended uh contract talks but it's cool to see alec Baum won his arbitration case uh he's is um actually clinching the player's first winning record since 2019 so that's kind of cool too uh but now, along with that our harper is actually looking to eye a, a long-term deal and i into his 40s and i 100% believe he should like he's one of those talents and one of those um i guess the locker room culture guys that you want to keep around even like when his prime is gone he's still going to be a valuable asset on the field and honestly in the clubhouse too because reese hoskins is gone which is definitely going to hurt the clubhouse culture but sometimes that's just how the business is he got a good deal but it hurts um not only harper though the Phillies are looking to sign Wheeler into a more long term contract. So I'm actually very curious to see how that goes. Um, just because pitchers, when they, it's, as long as you are consistently good with like how you, the health of your arm, how you maintenance everything, like Justin Verlander has been a, a top tier pitcher for the past like 10 years and he's in his 40s now. So he even won a few rings. So. I'm curious to see how that contract talk works, but um, that's pretty much the big names. We did actually sign Whit Merrifield, who honestly is a really good um, sign. He he was the third all-star selection last season with the, with the blue Jays um, and then did pretty well. So his whole thing now is he said he's one, he's, you know, been an all-star. He's got all these accolades. He now just wants to, to ring, like he wants a ring now. And he said it, whether they want me to just be a cheerleader on the bench or or bring me out into the the field, which is more likely why they brought him in. Um, he wants to win a, a ring here, and he feels that this is a good place. So I'm I'm excited to see what he does because he's he's pretty good, and to have a utility man like that is like imagine Pache, like if we had Maryfield like in more cases last year that we could actually plug him in and stuff so i'm excited to see what he does um lastly with the phillies though um brandon marsh did um get a knee surgery uh he said that it wasn't anything serious it was more something he did like in his angels days um and it was more just clean up like they saw and they're like yeah let's let's just clean your knee out let's see what you're gonna do he's expected to be out three to four weeks and he himself says he'll be ready for opening day so That's good to see. He might actually be a little faster because for those who know getting your knee cleaned out, like, yeah, it's a process that sucks, but your knee feels significantly better. So he might actually have maybe a little bit more power, a little bit more like ability. So we'll see what he does. Moving on to uh, football, because there's some, a lot of fun things going on there. Obviously the Super Bowl happened. Uh, Chiefs did win uh, in overtime. Ha ha 49ers. Ha ha. Ha ha. ha. Talk all that shit. Can't even win a ring.
1: Oh Um, yeah, we never did. This is the post-Super Bowl. This is the post-Super Bowl. I just Um, realized. Yeah, Yeah, the 49ers lost. What a shame. Oh no. hoo.
0: There's so many Debo Samuel crying memes came back. Like there was I love it. The the biggest crybabies and the biggest like crap talkers. Losing in that fashion is beautiful. Um, but so Mahomes, obviously, like he didn't he didn't really have that great of a game like no one really did. But Mahomes was the 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 variable that that is the reason why they won. Um, but if you look through the years, uh, his uh, average length of touchdown passes in 2019, it was 17 yards. 2020 was 13. 2021, eight and a half. 2022, four and a half. 2023, three point nine. So that means that this man is throwing four yards averaging like for the touchdown throw, which is crazy to me because you watch those games and they clearly don't have the huge explosiveness that they've had in, in past years. And obviously they don't need to do that, but it's very funny how this man who is, is touted as maybe the great, one of the greats and objectively he is, he's at, I would say, honestly, a top five in the history of the game right now, just with talent and how much he's done. Um, But it's funny to see that now, like, his average touchdowns are literally a check down. (laughs) So a lot of people are talking uh, crap on that. But to be honest, if you can't stop him even doing that, then he's too goddamn good. But on the 49ers side, I actually, I told you this a little bit ago, but I want to bring it up for the podcast. In 2017 NFL draft, in which they held the second overall pick, the 49ers did not study Patrick Mahomes because they believed they would be able to sign Kirk Cousins during the 2018 free agency and reunite him with Kyle Shanahan. Those plans were scuttled when the Patriots uh, offered and traded Jamie Garoppolo to the 49ers in October of 2017. But the one QB the 49ers did trade up to get in the 2017 draft was C.J. Berthard, whom they selected in the third round, 104th overall. Berthardt eventually left San Francisco, signed the Jacksonville, and in return, the 49ers got a compensatory 2022 seventh-round pick that they used on Brock Purdy. I find that story genuinely cool because it shows you that it, it really is like a butterfly effect in a lot of things, like one small change. If they sign Kirk Cousins, they don't get Brock Purdy. If um uh if Berhard doesn't leave, they don't get Brock Purdy. Like it's 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 such small things that like always stack up into these cool things at the end that when you look back, you're like, wow, that's crazy that all of these, I guess, puzzle pieces came together. But I wanted to bring that up because I thought that was a cool story. Um now to the truth of it. first 27 starts with the 49ers. Both of these players have 21 wins, 6 losses. Uh, Both players were 67.7 complete percentage rate. The other one, 67.2. Both players, 248.9 yards per game. The other one, 246.9. So only a 2-yard difference. Both players, uh, 48 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. The other one, 40 touchdowns, 24 interceptions. And one, uh, one QB has a passer rating of 110, the other 97. Can you guess who those two players are that are extremely similar, Bill? No, I can't because I don't know. It is Brock Purdy and Jimmy
1: Garoppolo. I would have gotten Purdy, but I don't think I would have gotten
0: Which is extremely crazy to me because with all the, the hype that Brock Purdy is getting, Jimmy Garoppolo was doing almost the exact same shit. <laughs> um, so I still do think Purdy is probably a top fifteen QB in the league. Realistically, like, yeah, he's getting carried by scheme and the absolute talent, but he's he's had some nice throws. He he does kind of maneuver the pocket pretty well. Doesn't have a can of an arm, but he know, he's he's putting it where he needs to go. So I I. With all the slander, and I'm also a big fan of, of talking shit, especially against Brock Purdy, but I do objectively know he's, he's a pretty decent QB, and I think that the 49ers are going to be good. Maybe not building around him. He's one of those QBs where it's like you're not going to win with him. Well, you can win with him, but he's not going to win you it. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, a very fun thing that's happening at Lincoln Financial on July 31st is uh, we actually got a soccer game. Or shall I say football game. Um, it's League of Financial will host Arsenal versus Liverpool, which honestly I I might like go to. That's actually. Yeah, a, no, that like, actually sounds a, like so, a lot of fun. That's a solid like matchup. So I thought that was really cool. Um i I got a few more things to go through before I get to the really crazy stuff. Actually only one more thing. Um So the Los Angeles Chargers are expected to cut Mike Williams, which is a shame because when he's healthy, he is probably one of the most dynamic wide receivers in the game and one of the best wide receivers. uh, Well, one of the best skilled players on the Chargers offense, but that's his issue. He is consistently never healthy. So they're expected Mm -hmm. to save 20 mil cap space. Uh, The cap uh, budget for the whole NFL went up 30 million to 250. So a lot more people are getting, uh, Cap space and the Eagles right now are looking at a solid 30 mil. And there's a whole bunch of moves they could do to get it up higher too. But speaking of the Eagles, so Craig Carton, who I'm pretty confident he's also a Giants fan, so keep this in mind. Um, FS1's Craig Carton says he knows the real reason for the Eagles' collapse last season. He says, it is a problem that would splinter any group of men, any group of men. It is a real significant problem. And it cannot be fixed. I will tell you that I'm not going to say anything more than that. It will be very interesting to see if a high profile player will be with them next season. He said this on live TV and everyone was like, well, that's kind of fucking weird that you told us literally nothing. And you stirred the pot and immediately a lot of people, a lot of, well, I mean, outside of 94 WIP, which I think is now just TMZ for Philadelphia sports. And I, I, if if AJ Brown does leave, I will wholeheartedly blame them. Um, but a lot of people are calling out Craig Carton, so we tweeted: Eagles say there are no locker room issues, and you sheep just follow along and go ba ba like it's the gospel. Yet every story from December, January about them was a locker room discord leading into the loss to Tampa. More on more tomorrow on FS One. Have a blessed day. Me one, you zero. So it's 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 one of those one of those things that's extremely annoying because like it really just stirred the pot. Um And sports radio 94 WIP have been rolling with this specifically saying pretty much just calling out like, you know, AJ Brown for not wanting to be here, yada, yada, whatever, like really doing some, some, their best work to try and get our, one of our best players to leave. But, and I'm not joking. This was at, This podcast is recorded at 3.42 p.m. on Friday, February 23rd. AJ Brown literally called into the station at 3.15 today and said, I have no problem. I want to be here. It's as simple as that. I love where I'm at. It's as simple as that. Next question. So he literally addressed WIP by calling in and saying, fuck y'all. I love it here. And The, the best thing I could say is no one hates uh, Sp- Philly sports players more than Philly sports media and no one hates Philly sports media more than Philly sports fans. Um, so cool. th- it's, it's really, it's crazy to see how much WIP is trying to lean into this and how quickly their reputation is being tarnished by this. Like all, like my whole feed is significantly like anytime WIP tweets, the whole comments are just like trash, not credible. Like they're, they're losing a lot just for, for this clickbait alone. Um, and for a uh, wide receiver who I'm going to name some stats too. Like he, this is leaders versus single coverage among wide receivers since 2022 receiving grade AJ Brown's first in receptions it's CD lamb at 95 in receiving yards. AJ Brown first again, receiving touchdowns, AJ Brown is tied for first with DeVonte Adams. This is versus single coverage since 2022. That is absolutely absurd to me. This man is by all stats and standards unguardable. And I I absolutely love that he's here. I mean, having an AJ just popping off in in the league, like that's that's so crazy to me. Um but moving on to the last thing I do want to talk about, is there was a thing coming out. Um, it's how, how much a QB throws to on his first read. So to give you an idea, in 2021, Tua was first at 78%. Tom Brady was second. Matthew Stafford was third. Baker Mayfield, fourth. Jimmy Garoppolo, fifth. In 2022, it was Trevor Lawrence, first. Jalen Hurts, second. Tom Brady, third. Mariota, fourth. Kyler Murray, fifth. Now, this has all the QBs that played that year. In 2023, Jordan Love first, Trevor Lawrence first, Tua third, Lamar Jackson fourth, Mac Jones fifth. Bill, with Jalen Hurts being second last year, where do you think he was this year? Seventh. No. Do you want to try again? No. I'll give you one more time. 23rd. Close. He was 24th. Oh, damn. Which was a sixteen point nine percent difference than last year. So last year he was throwing seventy three and a half percent in the first read. This year he was throwing sixty one point one percent on the first read. Which kind of goes in tandem with how the offense looked, like the the way the scheme was. Obviously people weren't getting open, so we had to try and make stuff happen. Um, but someone Shane Half, who's uh pretty good at a lot of like the uh, NFL and. Um, analysis. He's specifically a Philly guy. Um, He said that he's always skeptical about charting services for things like this because you don't know for sure. But assuming they are genuinely correct, it's it's still not necessarily bad to throw to your first read-a-lot. For example, Tom Brady being second and third in 21 and 22 isn't a negative. He's reading things out pre-snap and generally is correct. The onus is on the offense working is on the QB processing pre-snap and confirming post-snap. Tua being as high as he is, uh, probably a bad thing because the offense only works when uh, the first read is there. The onus on the offense working is on the play caller processing pre-snap and getting into the right play, then the QB somewhat blindly pulling the trigger. Be careful using first point data to shape your view of QB. So the whole reason I wanted to bring that up is a lot of stats are going to show a lot of different stories, and if you just take that at face value, it's, you're, you're, it's pretty much a skewed worldview um, just based on that one stat. You do have to take everything into consideration. So it's, it's fun to have these things come out of nowhere and like kind of show you a different view of things, but it's not the end-all be-all. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like, obviously, basketball had their NBA uh, All-Stars. Um, hockey had uh, their All-Stars in the stadium series, so they're starting to ramp back up. Baseball, spring training, football. We ain't going to have that for like another six months. Um, so that's pretty much everything I got. But please, 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 please follow us on Twitter at AB Sports Media or reach us via email, um, Bill and AJ Media at gmail.com. We would love to talk to you guys. Love to kind of, you know, interact with everybody. Uh, have the uh, pretty much any of our listeners. Even we'll read your questions on on the podcast and kind of go from there but um with that being said my name is aj and i'm bill and thank you for listening now go enjoy the weekend yeah
1: someone you know, please call 1-800-GAMBLER to seek free confidential 24-7 problem gambling assistance. You can also text SUPPORT to 53-42 to get more information about problem gambling